Lee, guess what I did today? Laundry. No, but I should have. <laughs> I went out and drove to Cary to meet a guy to buy you a new microphone and microphone interface and uh, sound damping thing. Ooh. Yeah. So people will be able to hear me better? Hopefully. I was hoping the story opened with a trip to carry where you're meeting a guy and I got really excited for the next part. Yeah, it's just, just a like microphone story. Some wacky tale going down, some hijinks. No, it wasn't very wacky. I hooked it up to my laptop and tested it to make sure that it worked and sounded okay. And, you know, then I bought it from him. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 209 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hi, Chris. Hey, Lee. And joining us is Jarvis Yu. Hey, Jarvis. Hello, what's up? Welcome, Jarvis. We figured we'd bring Jarvis on today because we have a vintage tournament to cover this weekend, and Jarvis is much more caught up on vintage than Lee and I are. <laughs> Uh, a lot yes yes. so this is this is gonna be a another jarvis educate us about an eternal format episode it's a recurring segment at this point i think (laughs) we did also get a big old i mean mostly product announcement today Mm -hmm. but hour-long announcement stream where they talked about a bunch of stuff so i figured we'd at least run through that first and give our immediate impressions i mean The stream was this morning, it is now the evening, but we haven't done a ton of processing yet, so this is mostly off the cuff. Also, I I like, I look forward to these product announcement videos, because I like knowing what's coming up Mm -hmm. next. And god, they're so unbearable to watch. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of just, like, artificial enthusiasm that is not, because it's all scripted. Yeah, incredibly scripted. It's... (sighs) I, like, I understand the need for cohesion and, like, a, a show like that, but, God, it just feels so fake. I think, like, one of my problems with it was that it felt really, I, I guess low production value isn't really the right word for it, because, like, they had a set, they had good audio and video, they had people who are popular in the community, and they, I'm sure, paid them well to do it, so... Like, in certain ways, the production value was there, but it also was entirely people sitting in chairs and talking to each other. Like, there were no, there was no breaking to any sort of multimedia segment. Uh, There was, like, no voice acting stuff or anything like that, no video, like, not a lot of visuals even to show, like, things that are coming. It was a lot of people sitting in chairs and talking. And then even when they're, like, all right, now our last announcement, the most exciting one. We've got a Netflix show coming out. And they can't even show us a, a trailer for like the a clip, yeah. Netflix nothing. show? Like nothing? We get a cell phone video of Brandon Ruth, one of the voice actors on the show, just saying, hey, magic players, come watch my show. Like, it's so weird that they can't come up with things to show us on an hour-long stream. Yeah, the the weekly Thursday ones were actually way better than this. <laughs> because you just like put a picture of a card people have never seen before and it's just it instantly all is forgetting. Right. <laughs> this one you just don't have that. To, to be honest, I did not recognize that person on the cell phone 
until someone told me it was Brandon Ruth. I'm like, oh, that's the person who did X, Y, and Z. But he just looks so different without anything on. So I'm just like, why should I be excited about this until someone told me I should be excited? I mean, I'm like generally down for, in particular, an animated magic series. I right. think that's a way better thing than trying to do it live oh, action. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. We, we, we should just let the Japanese anime studios do it instead. There would have been a KO, like a knockout of the park. Well, and I mean, Netflix has been doing domestic animes too. And mm-hmm. some like Castlevania is really cool. Like, right. I'd be down for something like that. I mean, I hope, we'll see. I mean, I don't, I don't have a trailer eclipse, but I, in my mind, it is that. So yeah, hopefully, oh. I won't be too disappointed. <laughs> I, well, with, we'll, we'll see what happens. I remain skeptical. Is how I would put it. <laughs> yeah, the track record of like the Dungeons and Dragons movies and things like that. Oh yeah, is not great. So. You know, I'll allow it to exist in the back of my head, not get excited for it, and if it's good, then that would be nice. So, as far as the product announcements go, it was also kind of weird, because, like, I was driving while listening to this, and every time I, like, lost internet and then came back to the stream, it would play a commercial in the middle of the hour-long commercial that I was listening to. (laughs) Really just a product announcement stream. The primary things that they announced are upcoming sets and so we know we've got Innistrad Midnight Hunt and Innistrad Crimson Vow which I didn't know was vampire wedding themed and honestly I'm kind of psyched for that particular aesthetic I I didn't know it was wedding themed either but it makes sense with the name yeah I I knew about the vampires I did not know about the wedding theme I don't know maybe it's because I'm 33 that the wedding part gets me really hype where the vampire (laughs) part was just like okay it's vampires Uh, well vampires were a given right you're not going to go to Innistrad to have zero vampires. Yeah. The wedding thing is new. Yeah. When was the last time we had a wedding of magic? Just like the Richard Garfield cards, probably. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm down for spooky wedding. Like, that sounds great. I really hope that they do something cool with it. I, I That is actually an aesthetic that is kind of, like, weird and you don't see all the time. It's not a direct take on something that they're going to do, like, worse. So I'm, I'm into the concept. I, I always like it when they get weird settings anyway, like Strixhaven or Battlebond. Yeah. Where they can like have some silly card names that just don't go in any other set. Well, and I mean, another kind of new thing that we didn't know about, although there was a bit of a leak on this, but so the new Kamigawa, the return to Kamigawa set is Kamigawa, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. So it looks like it's going to be a cyberpunk oh, yeah. take on Kamigawa. It really weird to me that they chose Kamigawa to do a cyberpunk set on, but okay. Well, I, I don't think it's that weird if you watch like one of the anime or whatever trophy games that come out of, you know, it, I, I actually think it's like a reasonable trope that has some basis, especially if you do watch that stuff. And also, I think it allows them to get past one of the like traditional Japanese stereotypes that Americans are used to or whatever. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just assumed that they would do a new Japanese plane rather than just do Kamigawa. Oh, I see. Like, well, you can show how all of the Moonfolk became this gangster Yakuza <laughs> instead. It's kind of, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of hyped. I, I, I kind of prefer that setting definitely to the setting that they had the first time. See, I actually don't mind it at all. Like, I, I quite like the aesthetic, and I love anything bright and colorful. <laughs> so just 
the, <laughs> just the art style I'm pretty excited for. It's just... Right. It was just threw me for a loop that this is Kamigawa now. Even though I knew Kamigawa was set 2,000 years in the past when it was printed the first time around. I, I think it's a really smart choice. Because I think pulling from the familiar and transforming it can let you do some really evocative stuff. And, I mean, li- like, literally, like, here are the moon folk. They are gangsters now. Like, is a compelling, like, thing that you see it on a card. Yeah. And you're like, I remember, like, the Sorotop. Like, I remember these, and now I see what they've done with it. Like, that, that kind of gets you going a little bit. It's certainly way more interesting than, like, going back to Innerstrad when a year has passed and... Nothing really changed. They're just riffing off old cards. It's so nowhere near as interesting. What about Bertrand of Ravnica 7.0 or whatever? I I expressed my distaste for all the Ravnica sets in the last podcast, Jarvis. Well, well, what about the original? Not the original one. I love the original one. Okay. Yeah, I think, um, I assume you listened to Pat Sullivan, but he has some really good points about how the first implementation of that was basically the best one. And that all the other ones are still remain good because the structure was so good the first time. They were just worse. Yeah, and I'm just not interested in a worse version of something that was good the first time. <laughs> right. Like, I'd rather they just do something different. Like, my main fix, like, if they had to do another Ravnica set and they keep had a similar to, structure. They will do. Yeah, I know. But next <laughs> time they do, the, like, the improvement that I want is, like, give me a Ravnica set with good limited and they just, like, can't do that. <laughs> so... Well, yeah, I'll actually express my displeasure with both. Uh, I think actually every limited set after, well, Gatecrash was pretty bad, but like RTR itself was actually mm-hmm. fine. Dragon's Maze was weird, but also fine. But I think the the next return to it, Guilds of Rapping and Rapping Allegiance, I was very dissatisfied because really, I think just being told what you're supposed to draft like most of the time is not very good or compelling. I have the same issue with tribal sets for the exact same reason, actually. Like, uh, don't think War... Well, War 1 has its own set of special problems, too. We won't talk about that. But really, I'm not thrilled to draft a set where it's like, okay, you should be one of these five color pairs. If you're not doing this, you better have a really good reason. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, not very compelling for, I guess, a more enfranchised player, I would say. Yeah, it's it's just mostly that the the alternative paths don't exist or are so like in Radica Allegiance they did the gate thing. There's a lot of good yeah. gate payoffs, but that's super duper hit or miss. It's just not something you can plan on doing all that consistently or reliably. So you're kind of just like locked into a guild yeah. path, like no matter which way you take it. It's kind of funny. Strixhaven sort of solved it, but not really. Because if you were an aggressive deck, then you weren't allowed to do that. But the like teamer wedge or shard or mm-hmm. whatever you call it was allowed to like be both. But that only introduces a sixth deck. It doesn't have like more than like six or seven decks in that format either. So kind of think Strixhaven did suffer that, especially since by the end, people all knew that black, white aggro was literally the best deck to draft like most of the time. Strixhaven has a lot of problems that I will continue to forgive because of the mystical archive. Like, this is my general Uh, stance on everything Strixhaven. Well, if you ask some people, that was also a mistake in a lot of ways, but we won't won't get back to it. They're pretty cards. Yep, they're they're pretty cards. (laughs) Okay, okay. 
like this is the only set that I've bought collectors boosters from because it's the only thing that has like mm-hmm. compelling a compelling like pack opening experience with the collectors boosters and it was legitimately fun to open Strixhaven collectors boosters. It like felt good oh, in okay. a way that like I've watched people open packs of collectors boosters of other things and it's just like wow what a what a letdown of an experience for that like eighteen dollar booster <laughs> pack. So I, I do have like one thing that is kind of weird about it. So Kamigawa based in feudal Japan, a, a take on feudal Japan. I, I, I do think that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to do your cyberpunk set in, you know, your ex- ex- existing Japanese inspired universe, because a lot of cyberpunk type stuff happens in that thing. And we have a lot of like future visions of Japan kind of based in the fact that like, in American imagining, Japan is super futuristic already, which is may, may or not be entirely true. But, you know, stuff like, I don't know, Neo Tokyo, like Blade Runner, very inspired by, you know, general, like, Eastern aesthetics. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff like that. So it makes mm-hmm. sense to set it here for aesthetic purposes if nothing else. But cyberpunk is way more than just an aesthetic it's rooted really deeply in concepts of, you know, all all the best science fiction is rooted really deeply in, like, actual human condition and societal problems that we have today. And cyberpunk is completely inseparable from concepts of, like, anti-capitalism and anti-corporatism, specifically. Yeah, corporations taking over everything. Right. Uh, most cyberpunk novels are based in worlds where regulatory capture has become far more than you could possibly imagine and essentially there are no governments anymore and corporations have taken on that role and they're about how awful that is for individual people living in those worlds and i am skeptical that we're going to get much more than the cyberpunk aesthetic in the set which you know I really like this stuff, so I I hope that they do more, but I I don't know if they will. So is Blade Runner one of your favorite movies of all time, then? Yes. I love Blade Runner. (laughs) Interesting. What's the other one? Uh, uh, Something Dream of Electric Sheep. What's the... the, Yeah, that's the book it's based on, yeah. Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Oh, yeah. Like Philip Dick. I mean, Philip Dick had some really weird stuff out there, but... uh, (laughs) I. He is one yeah. of the authors that, like in in college, one of the things that I would do is if I was studying in the library, I would go grab one of the like thirty Philip K. He wrote so many short stories, but I would just grab one of the collections, then use that whenever I needed a break from studying. I would read a Philip K. Dick story, and uh, there's some weird ones in there, but I I definitely recommend as one of the like <laughs> masters of science fiction that sometimes doesn't really get enough attention uh we also got a bunch of secret layers great i none of them have like a ton of appeal to me the math one is like pretty offensive (laughs) and so i wanted to get jarvis's take on that (laughs) well so i noticed the way they organized it i'm like that must be pi or e or some nonsense because like there's really nothing interesting about it besides that it's literally just a bunch of random creatures. Yes. Brazen Borrower and Meandering Tower Shell and Thrag Tusk. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, the key is you have to find the power and toughnesses that actually line up to the first few digits of pi, and that's really not that interesting. I guess the other condition is these cards have to be like somewhat iconic or playable at some point. I don't know about Meandering Tower Shell except for it in that limited format. That's just kind of a bizarre one to include. But there's not that many five nines in Magic. <laughs> there's that. There's not a lot of five nines in Magic. I, I is what I would actually guess. I don't know. I I, I feel like if we're gonna do a math based secret layer, like I want the concept to be a little more, a, a little yeah. deeper in because like here mm -hmm. the powers and the power and toughnesses make the first ten digits of pi is really just like the most vanilla and surface level implementation of that that you could possibly come up with. It's not like the art is math That's like a, or anything. It's well, the just, art the art is math. The yeah. art is cool. The art is the oh, coolest is it? part. I of haven't seen that. Oh. Well, let me go look at but, but really, it feels something like a third grader would turn in as a project. <laughs> Everything but the it. art does feel that way. But the art is, like, the artist bases his work in geometric shapes. So he starts with simple geometric shapes and then basically, like, removes from them to create the the basic structures of the artwork. So it's a pretty cool-looking process. So I, I am down for that, but... The whole thing doesn't feel particularly cohesive to me in a way that, like, appeals to my aesthetics. I mean, honestly, I find the full rules text of Basic Lands more appealing than this, <laughs> personally. And I don't find that particularly appealing either. I feel like a lot of these, like, all the gimmick ones are things that just, like, were good gamery Photoshop jokes at one point. Yes, like exactly. the planeswalkers, <laughs> the old portered, old style planeswalkers. Oh yeah, that's it's literally yeah. like there's a Jace the Mind Sculptor Photoshop from ten years ago. That is that joke. Yep, I see it on the Magic subreddit all the time when I used to look at it. It's just like, here's an old worded planeswalker that's worded completely unreadably because I don't know. I live in 1994. <laughs> oh, that, no, that's the one. It was the Street Fighter one. Chun Li having multi character was a good Grimmie joke from forever ago but it actually is yeah, just yes. what they're doing because you can't really not do that right is the street fighter one gonna be new cards or reprints new cards new cards yeah they designed cards for the characters i don't they didn't say how many there were just that chun li was one of them okay but the and has multi-kicker yeah, multi <laughs> i guess yeah there's not a <laughs> you can't you can look through all the multi-kicker <laughs> cards and you can't really come up with one that could reasonably be a chun li i mean drug a war color <laughs> reskinned a lot it doesn't really work no. yeah the uh fortnite secret lair is oh it is I gonna mean, be reprints though i i don't understand fortnite like really i just don't get it so i know that's not for me if it gets small children into magic great i just know it's not for me which is fine i can i don't think that. the like 50 dollar internet only product like premium product is a thing that brings anybody into the yeah. game yeah it's just for people already playing it with money i see if it were a secret uh a secret there uh like a booster release with fortnite like they're doing lord of the rings i, I could see that oh i see yeah. I, so this kind of goes back to my like like collector's booster problem like when you have the chart of like which version of things you can get in which booster like that just creates this weird like product separation problem and it, it it's confusing in concept. <laughs> I really think that uh, even yeah. if the percentage even if the chances are really low, 
like anything that they release, you should have a chance of getting in like your draft booster because that is that makes like opening the pack exciting. Like mm-hmm. this could be a whatever. I I think that like these secret layer things should also be distributed in small numbers as like you know hidden treasure type things or whatever. Yeah, that'd be neat. Yeah, um, I remember when you know COVID let up and we actually got together to do you know some MH2 drafts. Although rest in peace, that maybe soon. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, we opened MH2 boosters and there's like five different like border old border style things and people are like what the hell is this what the hell is this just like i think it's a little bit much especially for a draft booster but a collector booster obviously like whatever you can do all the things you want i think they might be going a little bit overboard and they're still going a little bit overboard in a lot of ways i feel like yeah i don't think you should be opening like a ton of them in boosters that you're drafting Mm -hmm. you know if there's like a potential like the same thing you have a slot that can be a common or can be a foil. You have a slot that like right. can be a common or can be some weird premium card from a big pool of premium cards. The list. Yeah, sure. Throw them in the draft. Let's do it. The <laughs> existence of set boosters continues to just like confound people because it's not a well-developed product. I don't know. I heard they sell really well. <laughs> they sell really well because that's the only <laughs> thing they give the store to sell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those those that, tweets were eye opening. Like that is yeah, um, that was unreal. I, I don't know. Do you want to explain it for audience members who missed that particular Twitter thread? The the one I saw was someone gave an example. They're like, yeah, we'll take uh, as many draft boosters as we can get. And people were like, okay, we can give you ten cases, but you can also have 10, 20 cases of set boosters. And uh, they were like, okay, I guess we really wanted more draft boosters, but whatever. And then they come back with their sales report. They're like, yeah, we sold all of the draft boosters first. Then we sold all of the set boosters. The Watson person's are like, great. So set boosters outsold draft boosters due to one. <laughs> Which is, okay. The, I understand the rationale trying to like prove that your idea worked. This is not a valid way to do it for many reasons. <laughs> well, they're going about it not trying to learn if their idea yeah. worked they're they're doing exactly that they're trying to prove that their idea worked yep. yeah well, the only thing you proved was people bought out all of their draft boosters boosters first but magic is so good that they'll buy like stupid other boosters even if they don't really want to yeah because that's all that's left right yeah yeah and obviously then since people wanted to buy draft boosters and then they have set boosters, like obviously people are then using them for not their intended purpose because they wanted to draft yeah, with their friends. Of course. And then they're just going to have a worse experience. Well, so those boosters are like slightly bigger and have more cards in them, right? And they're like tilted towards a color or something like that too. Are they really? Wow, it sounds horrible. <laughs> I, 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 I'll be honest, I don't really know how they work. Well, okay, look, sorry, to clarify for people listening to this, sounds horrible for actually drafting if that's what you want to do. I'm sure it's fine if, for whatever purpose it's meant for, which I do not know. Player-friendly implementation would just be to put cool stuff in the draft boosters, but <laughs> yep, can't do that. I mean, the set boosters is like, all right, if you've acknowledged that cards are random in random packs, but they're not used as game pieces, just like to out of the pack Mm -hmm. why do set boosters exist (laughs) 
yeah. it's, it's where they could have put Corvold or Kenrith the first time around, I suppose, and say been only collector boosters. At least the collector boosters are like, yeah, this is literally lottery tickets. Like, sure. that's fine. We all understand what's happening here. I'm fine with that. I will never buy one, but I understand the appeal of it. Other sets that are coming out, we've got something called Streets of New Capenna. Uh, and then we've got a couple more return things. We've got Dominary United. Hmm? I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you up on the streets of New Capenna because that's a three color set. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know you know what the last three color set had in it, CCR? Companions. Companions. <laughs> Sadly, the most remarkable thing that come out of Aquaria, or the most memorable, maybe. Hey, our mutate oh. cube is pretty good. Yeah, it's Actually, fantastic, but that's not I... what people think of. <laughs> I think maybe I got sets conflated, or maybe there will be also. I know this one is actually just have crime families in it, five different crime families that are multicolored. Yes, I, I sort of thought the other one was going to as well. Uh, I mean, if you're in a futuristic like whatever society, there's probably something on that ilk going on anyway. So like, you're probably not too far off base. But this one's supposed to be dedicated to that, yeah, I believe. Yeah. So it is. Jarvis, if there are not Moonfolk Yakuza in Kamigawa oh, Dynasty, you're coming from me. I'm gonna you're, be. You're rioting. No, I'm just gonna be sad at this point. What if they're Mizumi <laughs> instead of the Soratami? Huh? Yeah. Is that a deal breaker? No, that oh, that's okay. I guess. That okay. I mean, it maybe would make more sense, but I do like the aesthetic of the Moonfolk, like all tatted up and fierce. The Moonfolk are nice looking. I, I really like their aesthetic mm -hmm. from the original Kamigawa. Driving motorcycles, beating people <laughs> up for money. It would just be too easy to make them like the scholar group in Kamigo in Neon Dynasty. Like, make it surprising. Make it something weird. Like the the, the Yakuza Moonvoke is really like that. That would do it for me. <laughs> yeah. So New Capenna saw some speculation. Like, well, this probably isn't a wedge set because we just had a wedge set, and if it is a a shard set then we'll probably get the shard triomes so like that's pretty nice but it does let certain mid-range and slower decks just cast whatever the hell they want when we have shards when we have triomes and standards so maybe it's fine who cube knows? demands it cube and commander that's true. I, I think it would be a mistake to have all 10 in the same like standard format mm -hmm. um i think you probably want to avoid that just from like a homogenization standpoint to be I, fair Aquaria rotates before oh, does it? Comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then whatever. Do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> yeah. I agree. All, having all 10 would be crazy. Yeah. Well, since it rotates, yeah, go for it. I mean, I was looking at some old mana bases. There were formats where you could cast whatever the hell you want. I was actually most famously reminded of Nassif's deck from VT Kyoto, True. which was just the vivid, like, vivid creek, vivid crag, reflecting pool. One sunken ruins, I believe, was the correct number, and like three, he he used the Venice Islands, if I recall correctly, because that was his favorite back then. Yeah, and that gets you, what, cruel ultimatum, cryptic ultimatum. command, cloud thresher, volcanic fallout. Like, actually, he did not have green in his deck. Mm -hmm. He wears Esper red. Okay, so that's disciplined. No, it's not. <laughs> it's you still have Wrath of God, cruel ultimatum, cryptic command in the same deck. Yeah, like that's that's just nonsense. And then I was also reminded of, um, it was GP Atlantic City, the one that John Stern won with Bant Hexproof. But there were just a bunch of, like, Nyadex splashing Ractors' return, like, floating around mm. the, like, top 16 of that tournament. I do remember that. Yeah, that was, 
And like, let's not pretend that there were not Cruel Ultimatum Cloud Thresher decks in the Cruel Ultimatum standard. Those definitely existed with the Vivid Lands. Uh, I actually remember that PTQ season vividly because I actually determined it was correct to cut Cloud Thresher from those decks. I didn't actually have to alter my mana base, which is kind of funny. <laughs> so I just had the exact same mana base. I just put Identity Crisis in my sideboard instead of Cloud Thresher's. Oh, yes, the old swap out the GGGG card for the black, black, white, white card and don't change your lands at all. I've run that. Well, also, people had discovered just playing Baneslayer in your 5cc deck was actually just really good because, like, you just got to randomly win on turn 5 instead of, like, turn 15. Baneslayer was so good when it came out. So good. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, like, just the win condition of those decks at that point. The Broodmate Dragons came right out and the Baneslayers went in. Well, I also remember still playing one Knuckle V and a bunch of Flume Bales and Wall Reference. Oh, I do remember the Knuckle V version. Well, I had one. Most people had two, and I'm just like, why would I ever want to draw a second one? This is, like, not very good. And the first one's all you need because it just keeps rebuying your full ultimatum, so, like, (laughs) whatever. We will never get to that point. Even with Triomes, we will never get to that point of casting whatever the hell you want in standard. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. The only weird part is that tri- like the word Triome was an Akoria thing. Yeah, I wonder if they can keep the naming convention. That seems tough. So the- they might just be like whatever city or whatever back alley or whatever. Yeah, so I actually thought about this. And it's kind of funny because if you look up like Tundra and Taiga on like Wikipedia's like habitats... They're labeled as biomes. biomes. Yeah. So I wonder yeah. if they can like do some weird justification to use the word triumph again, but not use like the same sort of naming convention. Well, when the the triomes came out the first time, I saw some angry linguists on Twitter being like, "All right, by does not mean two in, in biome." biome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a pun. Like it's, I I think it was really smart. I I really respected that particular naming convention yeah i think it's cute but it it was also funny i agreed with the language people <laughs> well also language is fake and all faith-based anyways just like currency capitalism <laughs> government uh religion don't say so this like, out loud it'll all oh, come crumbling wait. down wait i thought it already was yeah but faster <laughs> <laughs> i need electricity at least until we finish recording this podcast oh no electricity is real i know but it's funded by money controlled by companies (laughs) all fake so after streets of new capenna we've got dominaria united which i don't think we really know anything about in particular we actually know nothing about it it's astonishing how they just gave us no information about it at all (laughs) but we're going back to dominaria and then we got a throwback set we're doing the brothers war so i know someone in this call is excited and it's not just me (laughs) Ooh, is it me or CCR? It's you, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely me. (laughs) (laughs) See, I... The Brothers Wars of Old, Old Magic book, it's like one of the first few they ever did. And it tells the story of Antiquities, the set, which was two brothers dig up some artifacts from a civilization which collapsed a long time ago. And then they just build a bunch of sweet robots and start killing everything and destroying the land and all that stuff. <laughs> it's really a depressing story, but that's where Urza and Vision come from. Well, I kind of hope they just like decide to be like, screw it. You know what would be really good to reprint into any modern era format? Mishra's Workshop. Just <laughs> like show, they're like, Here, here's what we think of the reserve list. F you. And 
okay, they're like, oh, we've made a horrible mistake. We have to restrict in every format, including vintage now. And then finally, vintage would be free. I, w- I would find that really funny if they did that. Because they're like, oh, this is what this card does. Because they've unleashed on modern or whatever. Oh, God, just no. imagine modern with that card. I'd rather not. Well, you'd see a lot more Trinospheres. Yes. I guarantee that. <laughs> well, well, they'd just ban Trinosphere and then keep the oh, keep the Mishra's workshops. Around. I see. I see. <laughs> see, my my hope for the Brothers War is that, like Antiquities, it just has the word artifact on every single card except for the Urzalans and Tripline. <laughs> oh, so you want them to reprint Tripline? Yeah, of course. That has got to be okay, true so... to the. Uh, the, uh, so Brothers War is just Antiquities Remastered. It's like yeah. most of the so, cards from that set. I see. So maybe we'll get some Triskelions reprinted in that set. Oh, yeah. I, honestly, it'd be a shame if they didn't give us Triskelion. Like the card Triskelion. It's so iconic. They it, gave it probably with some Mirrodin. Well, it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people don't realize how iconic Triskelion slash... It was actually pretty good for a while. Then Walking Bliss was printed. I'm like, what the hell? This is just this card on crack for so many reasons it's just better just like at every single tier of mana you can have throughout the yes. entire game except six except six mana where it's actually worse well it's one one smaller but it also continues to have an activated ability where you can put more sure. counters onto it yeah i mean i enjoyed the og the og art for that card is one of my favorites like it's just like a goofy looking robot it's like Oh, I'm supposed to be terrified of this, and then it just like kills you. And you're like, "What the hell? I died to this goofy-looking robot." <laughs> yeah, it costs six. It must be really good. The we actually know more about this set, which I think is the first set of the like new new standard. Mm-hmm. Like after the current sets in standard now are all rotated out. Yeah, it's the mm-hmm. it's the like last the set fall of 2022. Set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what we know about this set is it's supposed to be about the, the two brothers and mm-hmm. a bunch of artifact creatures attacking back and forth, building up armies and stuff. Mishra's War Machine's coming back, so is Mishra's Helix. Uh, <laughs> how, many, how many obscure, awful artifact creatures can you name that have either the word Mishra or Urza on them? <laughs> I have a lot. I don't have a lot of those. I know there's like, you know, Cathodians and Suchis of the world. Oh, but those are good in comparison to the cards <laughs> I'm going to list. Like Urza's Avenger. I don't know what that in, does. Is, um, is Onulet in Oh, Antiquities? that's definitely in Antiquities, yeah. The table pig. I think it's a goat or a cow. I so, actually have no idea what it is. Oh, wait. Urza's Avenger is not even that bad. I just re-looked at it. Now I remember Joda's Avenger is inspired by Urza's Avenger. Oh, right. Well, Urza's Avenger can gain banding, so I assume it was just completely busted in combat. I mean, well, yeah, that's what if you does. played, if you try to play booster draft versus any card that says banding, what happens is you're not really allowed to attack or block profitably, right? Because right. which is not really fun or uh, appealing in any sort of way. No, that's not a great way for your limited games to no, go. No. Attacking and blocking is the fun part of the game. It, it's kind of funny when uh, they introduce MED, the like Masters Edition MTGO the first time to get like. You know, vintage and legacy cards on there. They put a, ra- a lot of random banding cards into both all those sets for limited, and it was just like, well, this pack is like really not good. Except there's one creature with banding, so I'll just take that. Yeah, I, I drafted those master sets, awesome. and I have no idea why they included banding. Like, you don't really need that as part of the eternal formats. It's not essential, and it made the limited format so unplayable. It's just like, oh, here's my one mana one one banding. I'm pretty that that card's insane. 
Well, I think they actually had learned by MED 3 and 4. The problem with MED 3 was half the creatures were legends, but Caracas was also a rare. So, like, <laughs> half of your creatures would just be unsummoned randomly. And MED 4, its issue was all the Tron lands were common, and Fireball was an uncommon. I remember MED 4. I drafted that a lot because I, I really liked doing the Tron land stuff. Well, if you like Antiquities, of course you love MED 4. Well, I don't it's... love Antiquities. That, that sucks, but... No, it, no, 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 you told me you loved Antiquities because you love the Brothers more. Lee does, no, loves no, no. doing weird things with artifacts. Look, I'm excited for the Brothers War, this set, because we can actually see, like, real playable cards in a theme from, like, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And we get a playable Mishra, which we haven't had ever. The card Mishra mm. is, like, there's there's a lot of power points packed into that card, but you can't play it in EDH, so why would anybody ever cast it? It's a sad stranded design given like how i remember people casual. people tried to play this card in like very standard form like so it actually overlapped with mishra's bobble and i remember people trying to do that i'm like ah why would you do that it's not good enough even back then mm -hmm. which is kind of funny and it's definitely not good enough nowadays no <laughs> kind of sad like that is powerful text though Whenever you play an artifact spell, you may search your graveyard hand and or library for a card with the same name as that spell and put it into play. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. Like, that's really, really powerful text. Right. In in standard, all those decks had four Cold Steel Heart and four Mishra's Bobble. Because those were, like, the playable, like, artifacts, artifacts from the full step. Yeah. And obviously, you can't put this card into a deck in Modern, which actually has good artifacts in it. So, you know, there's no, like place that it exists but you know no nope. it's it's a neat one but yeah playable mishra th like the storyline of the brothers war is a cool one there's a lot of pathos and stuff you can do with two brothers who be start to hate each other so much <laughs> that they start a like robot war to kill each other <laughs> and all of the world they're on yeah right uh, you know similar to my cyberpunk rant like, the whole, like, underlying concept and takeaway of the Brothers War is that it is an anti-war storyline and, like, the pointlessness of violent conflict to try to solve anything and how people only suffer because of it. And so I hope... And that... also just, like, the Brothers War sets... I'm sorry for interrupting you. The Brothers War just sets up every single conflict for the next, like, 10 years of magic mm -hmm. with Phyrexia and all that. It's all that started in there. Yeah. And that's it. So, would you say the Brothers' War is the World War One of Magic? As someone who not... just started listening to Blowback, I would say that it's a, one of the like early Middle East conflicts of Magic. Yeah. Oh, early Middle East, I see. So, yeah, okay, that's slightly different. It's one of those wars where you just create your own problems over and over and over again. I've recently learned a new term thanks to our uh, Facebook chat earlier, which was uh, was it rake rake in the face. A rake in the stepping face? On, oh, stepping yeah. on rakes. And I'm just like, and then I clicked on the link, I'm like, this is really funny. <laughs> so yeah, maybe maybe Mishra and Urza were just uh, rake steppers, just causing their own problems. Uh, yeah, they definitely were. Urza a lot more than Mishra, to be honest. Everything bad that happened that Urza then fought against was Urza's fault. Like Dominaria getting basically destroyed by the Phyrexians is just entirely Urza's fault. And he helped destroy it the first time. <laughs> Wait, so Urza is basically the U.S. government, is what you're saying? Yes. 
Or is it is an allegory for the U.S. government? I don't think it's an allegory because I'm not sure Watsy knew back then that this was going to play out this way. Well, we're reinterpreting it. Okay. <laughs> also, this is nothing new, you know. Right. Imperialism leading to horrible results for everybody involved is just like a constant throughout like modern history. I was thinking about that. Uh, well, not that exact thing. But 100 years from now, we're supposed to have Warp 5 Drive, according to the Star Trek uh, mythology. I'm just like, I don't ever see how that is possible with the current situation that's going on. Well, we also have like a post-scarcity society in like 250 years or something like that, right? Like, so. Yeah, I don't buy that either. That sounds tough too. But there's also some like really gnarly stretches in the meantime in Star Trek history, right? Like they go through like some absolute like pre-technology phases before they they hit the post-scarcity stuff. It's because everyone got nuked. Yeah. That that was their World War Three or whatever. So I'm not looking forward to that part. Well, maybe that part doesn't happen. We can just skip to the good parts. You know, like you you know how like there are bad parts of a movie you just skip. Yeah, the... I don't know if that's how my life has worked so far. <laughs> yeah, the... Oh, unfortunate. We should really work on that. The, the World War Three <laughs> part seems way more likely to happen than the post scarcity war five part. I'm I'm just hoping. Yeah, hope is good. Uh, we got a space-based unset, apparently. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, okay, so, so I'm do- unironically more excited about this than probably three-quarters of the standard sets. <laughs> I mean, this They're- is a good sentence. It's retro-futuristic fun meets a space carnival. Like, I love retro-futurism. Like, swoopy rockets and stuff like that I, I think are really cool and what's a swoopy rocket just like look back at the covers of old like pulpy science fiction novels and like the rocket ships that they take to this take to the moon and stuff and they're you know very stylized looking and not particularly aerodynamic and uh oh dude so do you mean like the jetsons then i mean the jetsons is kind of i mean that's a similar aesthetic but the jetsons is definitely like sort of a parody of that idea rather than and i i and which obviously this is going to be but i kind of like the totally earnest aesthetic of that sort of pulpy era but you know (laughs) you obviously don't get that anymore so the best you can do is the the retro futurism kind of stuff so the the one thing i enjoyed about all that was mero called the basic lands that that set spacex i just i'm like that is actually brilliant (laughs) <laughs> I missed that the first time. That, that's nice, yeah. And it's not just basic lands, spacex it's, lands. It's also shock lands. Shock lands, yeah. I'm just like, how are we going to do a space-based sacred foundry? I'm like, well, actually, that makes more sense because, like, if you walk, look at Star Trek, they have, like, the shipyard set up. A foundry's not that far off from a shipyard or whatever. They also just had, like, um, I, I can't remember what Marvel movie it was. Probably one of the four ones where it was an adventure i don't know they go to like a dying star in one of them there's a dwarf that, with a forge there yeah that's a thor one that's thor three wait oh it I, sounds like thor the, or is that no that's in avengers right that they it's like irrelevant that. which yeah. thor does that, it is, yeah. but there's definitely a forge in a star yes. which is a sacred foundry essentially oh that's sick maybe they do something like that i'm sure they'll figure something out yeah i crap you know i've got all my I got all my Ravnica duels. I may be repl- I may be upgrading them to space duels. That sounds like a thing. 
we'll see. I lost some of my Ravnica duels in the uh, the pandemic. Cards were <laughs> you borrowed lost them? previous to the pandemic, okay. and I doubt they're coming back. <laughs> so. Yeah, whoever has them just forgot to return them to you, or is never returning them to you, which is like whatever. Yeah, yeah so now I'm missing good. a couple of copies of some, and I just made a space upgrade those. Makes sense. Well, are you missing steam vents? No, thank God, no. <laughs> I, I, okay, actually, this is a fun side question. Which shock land do you think you've played the most of in your life? I know Breeding my pool. answer. Breeding, Breeding pool. pool. Breeding pool or steam vents, one of those two. What about you? I'm fairly sure it's Breeding pool, though. I've got a really healthy mix, I think. I've just... It, it's definitely Godless Shrine in last place, but that's about all I know. So for me, it's actually, funnily enough, Godly, Godless Shrine is definitely in first place, and it's only because of that standard format. Mm, yeah. that makes Because I love Ghost Council format? of Orjova yeah, like, okay. more than any other card, and it's just like, well, if you include Modern, probably some other, probably Steam Vents has overtaken it, because Steam Vents has been way better than Godless Shrine in Modern's history, like, basically all the time. Yes. Like, probably after God of Shrine, it's probably Overgrown Tomb in some format for me, honestly. Yeah, I've played a lot of green nonsense, so I can't write off either Overgrown Tomb or Temple Garden, so. I can write off both of those pretty safely. I know you can. <laughs> you, like, no, yeah, I still can. don't own Verdant Catacombs, right? No, I own those. I don't own Marsh Flats. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, but Marsh Flats sucks. Like, the only decks I play in Marsh Flats are all bad. I know, that's why I don't own them. Vernon Catacombs is playable. Like, I played that oh, black decks on, or green decks. Actually, actually, I might have to take that back while I check one deck list real quick from my history. I mean, you just have to think about how useful Marsh Flats is than any other white or black fetch. And it's okay. usually not that weird. Oh, no, no. I did have three Marsh Flats in this deck, but I had all of the black, green, and white fetches that could fetch force before that. And it was this is Pro Tour Oath of the Gate Watch, and I played Abzan, uh, Court of Calling Collected Company, but I have three March Flats in my deck for God knows what reason. Wasn't Pro Tour Oath of the Gate Watch the Eldrazi one? Yes, but I determined that my matchup versus that deck was actually good, and I think it generally was. And it was like one of the few decks that was good versus that deck. Okay. But I also tested with that team that had blue red, so I probably did make a mistake overall still. <laughs> so Marsh Flats so. still probably worse even in that context well Marsh Flats is worse than Ayabugan and Eldrazi Temple that is what I will say for sure <laughs> but yeah uh, not many Marsh Flats overall see I just thought Unstable that was the last unset right Yeah, that set was actually really good it was actually quite fun to draft and play was that with. the one Well, were those the lands that like their border is non-existent Yes, that's the set. Yeah, I really am so not a fan of those lands. Like, looking at them, especially when they're in a pile altogether, it's really hard to know how many there are. Ooh, that's true. does a weird thing to your eyes without the border. Yeah, and this was an issue for me on a client I will not name the same of because it would tend to stack things up and be really hard to count, and you could not modify it. <laughs> sure, but... Who knows what the new unset lands will look like? Spacey. I mean, spacey. Well, I hope I hope they're spacey and have a border. <laughs> <laughs> That's my, my request. My favorite thing about the space basics, the basics, mm -hmm. is that there just aren't any of those features of geography in space. In space. <laughs> well, you get mountains, except for 
arguably planes. So it's probably well, not going to be yeah. just space. It's going to be yeah, because nobody just hangs out in space. Right. You go to like, planets and asteroids and stuff. Mo- sure, m- moons definitely have like canyons or mountains or like dunes or whatever. Like you can get something. A swamp or a forest or an island is harder, unless if you justify them as like dry or whatever. Well, this is definitely happening in a universe in which there is life in other places. A carnival. So yeah, this sure. is going to be a forest in not. On like not on Earth, so just with weird looking trees. Maybe they'll uh, spoil the fact that they're teaming up with Star Trek, and then we'll have a Vulcan forest. Are you excited for that? Is there anything special about Vulcan forests? No. In fact, I actually don't think Vulcan has many forests because that planet is famous for being notoriously hot. They're famous for their desert. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's referenced in uh, some episodes the Vulcan Forge. Which is uh, actually very uh, reminiscent of like Greek or Roman mythos, mm. right? Because Vulcan was the god yeah. of the forge. Yeah. Sorry, all the Star Trek stuff just goes over my head. <laughs> That's okay. Wait, well, so were you a Star Wars person either? I'm not really. I okay. kind of was a Star Wars person, but I'm not actually a Star Wars person. I think I just watch them because I have. Pretty much. Right. I don't have any super special attachment to them. Fair enough. Star Trek, I just actually never watched. The The reason I think there are so many uh, people who like Star Trek is I think the ideology, the perfect ideology of that show is actually quite good. It's just we're never going to be there. Well, I well, let me rephrase that. After TOS, you can't you can't count that one because that one actually has awful views on a lot of things. <laughs> it's like a very colonial show. <laughs> Yeah, but the, all the other ones, I think, have a very good, like, ideology. If you were to live your life that way, most people would be better off. You mean I can't just go from planet to planet having sex with different colored women? <laughs> yeah, I was about to not mention that whatsoever. <laughs> but It's too late. We, we've, it's already entered the zeitgeist. I don't think there's really much else to talk about with this announcement i think we kind of hit everything oh i i have one last rant yeah do it they promised to announce things about organized play and the thing that they announced i mean i don't really blame them but the thing that they announced were like store championships in december and i kind of think other people thought they were gonna have a bigger announcement you know because they've been waiting so long but I kind of think it's hard for them to plan things because of the pandemic situation still, mm-hmm. especially big live events. But they could have been like, I think announcing another announcement is more preferable than what they did. Like just saying, okay, we'll get back to you in like December. They literally had just said anything. Yeah, I I wasn't expecting a you know, high level organized play right. announcement. Uh, the store championships thing really doesn't I it really kind of boggles me that like the first thing of the entire stream was like paper play is back and that's just such a bizarre irresponsible weird thing to lead on right now like come on yeah that was the capitalistic uh, part of the script I think for them to have that narrative is very good for their business so the sort of want to push it without being like, oh, you're putting all of your players in danger. And, well, 
they're like, no, we're just saying that when if you're all ready. you're vaccinated, like when you're ready. Yeah. yeah, when you're ready, you can go play in these store championships in December and like get a goofy card that has your store name on it, which I actually think is kind of a cool gimmick. I, I, I do think that's a sick gimmick. Yeah, I want yeah, the Atomic Empire cool. promo like really badly. Oh, so you're going to try to win. <sighs> I want it really badly, but I don't. I don't know if I'll be ready to go to the <laughs> okay, store and play. Okay, so what you're saying is you want it really badly, but you you also have like a sense of like, okay, do I really want to? What's the risk reward here? Where the risk being, you know, infection of something, some sorts mm-hmm. versus see, the reward, which is a cool card. See, the thing about Atomic is they make enough money just online sales and subscriptions and stuff. That oh. they can remain in business without being super rushy. They're really good about not rushing into things and wow. closing it down and stuff like that. Well, the vast. So that's... if Atomic is holding it in December, I can probably be reasonably confident that I will go. Yeah. Okay. The vast that's majority cool. of their business is comic books and subscriptions oh, to comic books. Okay. So that, like, the pandemic, I'm sure it's hurt them, but, like, They've never been, like, using magic as a primary, like, revenue source. Actually, are you sure it's hurt them? Because I think there might be a lot more comic books read these past two years. Could be. Who knows? Like, I I could see a justification. If you told me the sales increased, I would actually not be surprised. I could see it either way, actually. I mean, all I know is that all all the other game stores in the area are opening back up. And Atomic has always been the slowest and the, like, kind of... We're just trying to do the right thing. Everyone still has to mask up at all the times and all, and all that sort right. of thing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're being kind of the most reasonable about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually saw an FDA announcement that Pfizer is completely approved by FDA now. So mm-hmm. all the haters who may be listening to this podcast, I doubt there's many. <laughs> if you were worried about not full FDA approval, please. Pfizer is 100% confirmed based on whatever yeah. final clinical trial. And... I, one more rant about that. When people say this science is new, it's like, no, do you understand how science works? There have been building blocks for decades and decades of research leading up to this. The fact that we had all of the infrastructure and science like basically set up to actually power it out in a year is actually one of the more impressive successes of our country rather than, you know, normally it takes three years, but that's a lot of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I think this time we were able to cut through all of the bureaucracy and maybe it is a little bit, Normally, we'd have a little bit more lead time to check for, you know, side effects. But this time, no, it, I mean, people dying to COVID was a worse side effect than giving the vaccine a lot of the time, I think. I am going to go out on a limb and say that most people who were not getting the vaccine and using the, it's not even approved by the FDA excuse, they're probably not going to actually be particularly convinced by the FDA approval. But if I can change one person's mind but with that rant, it's worth it to me. Yep. I mean, get vaccinated. That's been our stance the whole time. I I do, while I understand why they didn't make an organized play announcement, I do want to push back a little bit against the, like, how could you possibly expect them? Like, how could they possibly make an organized play announcement or in the middle of a pandemic? But, like, it's not impossible for them to make an announcement that's, like, here's our vision for organized play. We don't know when we're going to start, but like, here's the basic tournament structure. It's like, that's a very, like human beings have imaginations. So I, you know, it's possible for them to make that sort of announcement. I don't think they know 
what the structures are going to be like yet, and that's why they haven't said anything, but, like, they could if they'd figured it out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. You don't... You could just say... Honestly, I didn't expect an announcement from OP at all Mm -hmm. in this stream. It's just not really what the stream was ever about to me, and they also never really advertised it that much. So I was just assuming somewhere down the line they could be like, all right, here's our here's our vision for organized play. It's not going to start until we actually can plan things. So we don't know when that's going to be, but here's what it's going to be like. Shoot us with your feedback. Maybe we missed something. Because, you, know, you know, Wizards, they always try out the worst version of something and then get a bunch of outcry and then they walk it back. <laughs> so giving we time are, for that to happen without actually yeah. running tournaments would be kind of cool. We, we are constant guinea pigs for them, is how I would put it. Yeah. Well, they just, like, test things out to see if we'll get outraged about it. And if we do, then they give us the thing that they wanted to give us all along, and then... Oh, you mean, like, the historic wildcard thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where, like, everyone who had, like, any idea of how economy should work was like, wait, aren't you just tra- charging twice as much for this thing that's arbitrary when it should be, like, exactly the same amount? Well, when it should be possibly even less less because you can only use it in half as many yeah (laughs) but yes exactly like that oh we are also getting uh pioneer challenger decks which is really interesting because that is an explicit supporting of a format that uh has been you know basically abandoned and widely just like left to to seed uh, so I don't know if this was my internet or like because I was at work and the Wi-Fi there is really unreliable. Uh, they just put up slides with the challenger deck from my perspective and didn't really talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. It was just kind of there. Um, I mean, they mentioned it like, okay. but yeah, it was mostly like an ad break from the ad where they like showed you the challenger decks rather than like a. Let's sit down and feign excitement at the announcement of the Challenger deck <laughs> segment. Yeah, well, they, like they, there was no feigned yeah. announcement, so they weren't super jazzed about it. Mm-hmm. Well, so I kind of think they did an okay job picking decks, except for one. Why the hell is Lotus Field like? That's like so, <laughs> yeah. So Ari has a good tweet on this. I'll just read it straight up. While we do love pioneers getting Challenger decks, I'm left questioning why Lotus Field is one super weird and convoluted archetype. Minimal overlap elsewhere if you regret the purchase. Definitely possible. And even something you are sure not sure to want in the format medium term. So it's just like, I think all those are valid points. There's no overlap. Like, this deck is super inbred to, like, itself. Mm-hmm. Like, the cards don't go anywhere else. Yeah, Vizier, like, Tumbling Sands, and pour over the pages. Yeah, or whatever version. I mean, I think if you think it's a cool deck and you're into that sort of thing, and you don't play Pioneer, go ahead. That's... That's you're the target for that deck. That's great. Lee's the target for that deck. Well, well I already know already cards. Yeah. Well, so, okay, Lee's not the target for the deck. Hypothetically, if his copy got missing, then he would go buy that deck. I mean, yeah, but there are so 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 few Lees in the world compared to yeah, the non Lees. The other people are more likely to be like, oh, Azorius Horrors, that looks good. Pine Pioneer Burn, that looks good. Uh, I don't well, remember me, what the last one was. Besides spirits, spirits, or and, and burn. Yeah. yeah, 
but the, most people like if you're getting into pioneer you know like very cursory about the format sure. and you look at the challenger decks as like one of your purchases you're not gonna look at the lotus field combo deck and be like oh yeah saborio grazer and vizier of tumbling sands how do i win the game <laughs> you know <laughs> it is a really strange one yeah i mean even i our team found that deck like last minute for that rpt the breach version of that deck which was obviously very good and i kind of regret not doing it and i was just look at this i'm like all right i'm gonna just play my quite companies and spell colors because i'm like i'm i think i'm too dumb for this it turns out i should have just accepted the fact that i would only play at 80 percent and win like 80 percent of my matches <laughs> or whatever because the deck was that good I mean, what, I, I did that I, the same weekend. Yeah, we had a lot of faith in Lee to just be able to pilot this deck without oh, having did, played it before. Well, did you figure it out? Of course there, you figured so there it was out. An SCG, <laughs> there was an SCG the same weekend that we were going to yep. as a team tournament. And I was going to play Standard, but then we heard about the Lotus Breach deck. And so I got switched over to Pioneer okay. and told to play the deck. And I had to buy many copies. I own so many copies of Underworld Breach because I had to buy extra copies of the card. Mm-hmm. But I played that deck and lost two matches on the weekend, I think. So you were third... Or did you day two? We didn't day two. No, we no. yeah we, okay. we let Lee down. He did not let us down. And then he top-aided the challenge. Or the, oh, nice. the classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, my teammates had like a big primer written up, so I probably should have just read that and started built the deck and goldfish it a bunch. But I was just I had looked at the results from Brussels and the Japan one, and Spirits mm-hmm. did really well. What I didn't account for was the fact that people would adjust to Spirits doing well. And then there should be some blowback. And there in fact was I mean I still went six four, which is fine at the PT level, obviously, but I can't help but wonder that that it felt like another blue red situation to me <laughs> those iterated pt weekend i that iterated pt weekend yeah was that, so weird. that got weird yeah i i actually spent most time just playing a shit ton of drafts before that because i'm like why would i even bother like what's the point I just at least i can like the week before <laughs> well that was our that was most of our plan except we we actually had one person on our team go to the europe one beforehand because he just wanted to visit europe and like he came back and he's like, yeah, you all should just work on this breach deck. He looks absolutely insane. That's like actually valuable information that you can't get just like looking at the data. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually valuable to have someone there looking at it and be like, oh, this deck actually looks really good. Uh, the build might not be quite there, but you know, it's hard to get that sort of thing. Just you know, talking to other people, unless if they like really think to message to the rest of the team about it right you got to walk around the tournament hall and see somebody with their head in their hands as their opponent is comboing off with a deck they don't understand how (laughs) to beat. like you really only get that kind of information and you trust it from outsiders or people who have lost to it the person who plays the deck is always going to like those kind of decks no matter what and so when (laughs) they tell their friend group about it they're gonna be like oh look at lee just doing his thing again no, but this this time we knew it was trustworthy because the person who told us really doesn't like that type of deck. So if he says it, it must be like super true, essentially. You yeah, know? exactly. Lee's just still bitter that we didn't all start playing KCI like months and months ahead of time when he was crushing with it. After Matt uh, won Hartford, I just 
I actually own most of it, and I just bought like the Rock Clan Ironworks or whatever that was missing because if you if you played Affinity, you own most of that deck built in. <laughs> actually, one of my first like MTGO top eights was with Manuel Bavan's KCI deck from that Worlds with the Fabricates, the Mirror Incubators. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So I'm uh, I Rock Clan Ironworks looked a lot different back then. <laughs> you were just like. Well, activate Mirror Incubator, get 30 Mirror, sack them all, like, make Belcher so you can't get Echoing Decayed. <laughs> Just, uh, it hits a little bit different, you know? Yeah, that's way closer to, like, the standard deck than, than KCI. Oh, it was, it was it the was, standard deck. Oh, that was the standard deck, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, you could just have a deck of 60 artifacts, no problem. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, Chrome Mox was, like, your 20th, or six or uh, 17th through 20th Mana Sources. Before Dark Souls Citadel was printed, but I think, I think it was full block by that point at that world. Casey, yeah, I, I was in fifth on, so Dark Souls oh, yeah, yeah, was yes. in Dark Steel. I had Platinum Angel on my sideboard for the. Uh, I don't even remember what it was for. It was for something. <laughs> that was back in the day when people just threw cards in their sideboards for like the tiniest well, of reasons. No, no, no. <laughs> there were four fabricates in the deck, so there was a reason. I just don't remember. Oh, you what saw the reason. Was. Okay. I mean, in yeah. the mirror, if they're only getting off one Belcher activation, they can only kill your Platinum Angel or you, I guess. The well, real moral of the story is that in the summer of 2018, I was, like, unbeatable at Modern. Because <laughs> no one was playing KCI or knew how to play against it. I mean, I was also unbeatable in that uh, SCG playing KCI. I lost two humans with a very hateful draw and a mirror, which I think kind of doesn't count because that mirror was not very fun like mm-hmm. you, like you, you kind of just threw cards at each other obviously there are like interaction points but i think mostly whoever had a bitter go was going to win a significant portion of the time yeah pretty much or if your opponent was like really bad at sideboarding you won <laughs> which yeah. happened to actually quite a bit to me that's funny because how is it how, how can you be just like overboarding oh yeah when I played those types of decks, I tried to sideboard as few cards as possible. Okay, I understand. Like, your game one deck is actually the optimal configuration if no one does anything to you. So you want to, like, keep it as close to that as possible. Just sometimes you're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of game one configuration, should we uh, talk, talk, talk about, about type one? And type one. Type one. Type one. Uh-huh. It's not type one. It, it Type one is when it shares a list with legacy, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah, 1.5 and 1 were the difference was everything that was restricted and 1 was just banned in Legacy. And it also had a few additional bans. Yes, an hour and 15 minutes into the show, we can start talking about Vintage. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Look, uh, I'll just give a, yeah, give a rundown. Yeah, give the rundown. It, I'll just so, pull up Goldfish uh, or whatever. Yeah, so it is my estimation in this tournament and a very safe deck choice and one that's been doing very well is... What people would call Saltai Midrange by, uh, you know, modern naming standards of decks. I think a lot of the Vinci people like to call it Bug because they're like all boomery. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really the same deck. If you're the Reed Duke of the world and you like Vintage, this is the deck you would play. Deathrite Shaman. Uh, Assassin's Trophy is actually a big deal because you can go after Bizarre Baghdad. Um, that's why you often see this deck played for Assassin's Trophy. And there are versions of this deck that touch red for you know like run and six and stuff like that power blast um endurance a big pickup for this deck and it actually improves the bizarre matchup even more and also just kind of gives the deck another creature that can brawl because like 
when you play this type of deck, you're signing up for like long grindy games, and it sometimes it is necessary to have enough closing speed before your opponent like top decks ancestral recall and like buries you or something like that. That is definitely an issue. I think that is my least favorite part about bug is sometimes your hand just looks like a legacy hand, and it's very easy to get vintaged and die. But I think generally speaking, I've seen this deck played a lot, and it's done generally pretty well, and I would expect a reasonable amount of it in the Mana Traders event as well. Yeah, like this list that I'm looking at only has the three on-color moxes, does not have Black right. Lotus, has, you know, recall, obviously. Cool. But. So I question the lack of Black Lotus sure. because you still play with, like, you know, cards, like, Treasure Cruise and Dick are castable off Lotus when they might not be otherwise. At the same time, there's actually a real issue with repeatable mana sources in this deck, which is the reason not to play it. And it's also not great with your own collector oofs, which that deck tends to play mm. a reasonable number of cards. Usually two to three. Two in the main deck, usually. You often see one or two in the sideboard as well if you just really want to hammer it home. But uh, You can still often play a Narset or an Oko on, off of Black Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And uh, oftentimes you see this deck play Brazen Borrower somewhere in the 75 because it is the only reasonable way to beat Sphinx of the Steel End from the Tinker decks. <laughs> yeah, Brazen Borrower just pulling its weight every format. Uh, it's probably least good in this format, and it's for <laughs> a very niche reason. But still, it, it, it is cool that you have that option. Like, it's not that bad on Raid. Uh, I don't know how... I assume that this is probably pretty normal, but a lot of endurances in these lists. Yeah. No, I think that's normal. I think just a, a nod to... Uh, well, first off, Underworld Breach, one of Lee's favorite cards, is still a player in the format, you know? And, I mean, all of the Bizarre decks, endurance is, like, absolutely reasonable versus them. I would actually caution overvaluing endurance versus them, because if you play against Dredge and you endurance them once, they're like... Okay, great. I still have a All bizarre right, two turns later, in play. Yeah, two turns later is like, okay, th here's the same board state. Can you beat me now? Mm -hmm. If you can't, you really haven't done anything. Yeah. It's like the typical Tormont script against Strange kind of deal. It, yeah, it's just that Endurance, I think, is a little bit different because it is also a creature at the same time, which can help you close the game. And the bug deck plays a lot of answers to Bizarre Baghdad itself that I actually think Endurance is like a good part of the plan for the deck. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they're also given Bizarre of Baghdad, like Endurance putting the cards back into their library is noticeably worse than exiling them would be because like yep. it's very easy to go mm -hmm. through your entire deck and get reuse all the stuff. So you do need the, the plan right. for the Bizarre. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, that's why you see so many Assassin's Trophies and the Wastelands and Strips help. Obviously, Deathrite Shaman, phenomenal in the matchup. Sometimes... Uh, I guess it's harder for the version you mentioned, Vuk, Matt Vuk's version. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you're on the play, you can like Leovold versus the non-dredge versions, and it actually colds them because they can't really do anything productive. But I'm sure Lee knows that like there's a weird interaction between Dredge and Bizarre Baghdad versus like Leovold and Narset and stuff like that, where it doesn't really work very well. Yeah, Dredge doesn't count as a draw if you dredge it as your first draw. So you can basically get around it and like get to do like specifically dredge is much better versus those cards than like the hollow vine or the squeeze of the world. Right. Cause you're replacing your draws. Uh, yeah. So I think that'll be the most popular deck. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess according to goldfish, like Jeskai is number two. Now there's been a lot of talk in uh, vintage about, okay, first off, 
how many of these MH2 cards are we supposed to put in our deck is the real question. <laughs> and I kind of think looking at all the lists I have for the past few days, no one really has the correct answer or if there even is a correct answer. I see like one to two Ragavans, the perfect zero number. to three, zero to three expressive iterations, one to two prismatic ending. I'm just like, what is going on <laughs> now? I think the real issue is it's hard to like suss that stuff out because what actually happens in a lot of vintage games is like the more powerful cards are the ones that you want to draw most often. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even really matter what those other cards are. Now, my counterpoint would be like, all right, if you think iteration is a good card, why don't you just play four? Because like it finds you all of the busted cards because you look at three cards. Iteration seems so good to me in vintage. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a vintage guy, but like between fast mana and the the ability to dig deep for, you know, the higher percentage cards because the variance in card power is so high, and also just like it's tough to two for one somebody. And expressive iteration does that on the cheap. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, in Jeskai, I think I would play four personally, and I would shave like the more marginal cards, like Days or maybe the third source of plowshares. Um, kind of, kind of just thinking about it logically. I just think iteration is so good in that regard. One thing is, Mox Pearl and Black Lotus are not particularly good at casting expressive iteration in the way you want them to, mm-hmm. which is one of the problems with the card. And that's why in the past, in like paradoxical outcome decks, you often saw Knight's Whisper because any Mox plus Black Source casts it and it is clean two for one you want. Mm-hmm. So um, another thing that these decks have picked up is a large adapt- adaptation of Alpine Moon. So you're probably looking at this card and you're like, okay, what is this card for? Twofold, Bizarre Baghdad. Number two, Urza Saga. Yep. Which we'll get to in a second. I think before the increase of Urza Saga, it was preferable to play Pithing Eagle in the slots to answer Bizarre than Alpine Moon. But now that you want something that answers both, it's better to play Alpine Moon. Sure. And we've definitely I... seen Alpine Moon have a big resurgence in Modern for the same sort of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the Bizarres in Modern. Well, no. the Urza Sagas. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait until the Brothers War. Slash Arabian Nights. Never mind. Uh, uh, can I ask about Ragavan? Because in yeah. my head, that card seems like it'd be extremely good in Vintage because both players' decks... I mean, if you're playing like... I, I guess I don't know, right? Because it seems like there's so many powerful cards you can hit with Ragavan that it would behoove you to play it a few more than just like a singleton copy here or there. Is it just too much creatures going on? Too much creature removal? Too much like dredge? That's one of the questions I have personally. I don't know if that's right, but I think maybe what's going on there is people are like, all these other cards are much better than Ragavan, so I don't want to cut any of them for that card. But I'm, I'm not sure if that's actually correct or if that's just something that's still being figured out personally. It's, it, it is hard when your deck starts with like, here's 20 broken cards that you're not allowed to cut any of them, and then you can <laughs> go from there. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. The, uh, a few weeks ago, I think Yuta Takahashi did well in a Vintage Challenge with uh, at least two Ragavan, four Deathrite. He was just four-color bug with all of the good like mm. bug and red card adjacent cards. 
And since then, no one else besides him has been able to win with the deck. So <laughs> it's uh, it it had Badlands in it. So that's that gives you an idea of how the mana base looked. It sounds like a very Yuta Takahashi performance. Yeah, it's just like I don't know how to win with this deck. He apparently no one else does. So it's just like okay, well we'll just we'll just leave it alone and chalk that up to be Yuta being Yuta. Yeah, nobody else has ever won a match with a Yuta Takahashi deck. So that's. That's not true. <laughs> fairies is the notable exception. Okay, sure. <laughs> but not modern, not modern fairies. It had to be it had to be standard or lower one block fairies. Right, but that's Takahashi playing his version of a tier one deck. Like <laughs> Sure, that's fair. That's a little different from due to just like Crush Gun Magic Online <laughs> with modern fairies, which nobody else can like sure. find a keepable hand with. But yeah, so that's just guy. I don't know. I would I would expect a reasonable amount of that. I think generally, if you like playing fair blue decks, Bug and Jeskai are both like, well, Sultai and Jeskai, I guess, to remain consistent, <laughs> are both very reasonable choices and both have kind of different things going for them. I think if you like Pyroblast a lot, then Jeskai is more appealing because, you know, Pyroblast is obviously good versus other blue decks. If you like killing Bizarre Baghdad, then Assassin's Trophy is where you want to be. And mm -hmm. I think generally the Bug deck, even in game one, is reasonable versus the Bizarre decks. And then post board, when you know the matchup, or maybe even in mana traders, when you know the matchup in game one, you can be like, all right, this hand does not beat a bizarre. We'll just go look for a hand that can beat a bizarre. And that deck is definitely capable of producing those hands. How much of a difference do you think open deck list makes to like the your desire to play a bizarre deck? I would not personally, is how I would put mm -hmm. it. Uh, so that guess that explains it personally. I. I think it's just so easy for people to mulligan much more aggressively when in like a normal like vintage or you know league or challenge people don't have that information it, it is actually a significant difference i think mm -hmm. um i remember thinking about that stuff for like the rpts and the pts and that was just an enormous difference in how you play magic normally because it's like normally you're kind of blind almost if it's like a small local game store tournament then you may have some information it, it, it really is a very different experience, I think. Yeah, definitely. But that's Jeskai. That's Soul Time Jeskai. I think Goldfish lists Golos Shops. It's listed as Golos Stacks, but I kind of hate that name now because I don't think that deck has played Smokestack in years. <laughs> and actually, for what it's worth, I actually think this deck is very good, and the major reason is Urza Saga. So let, let me break it down. This deck did not used to play four Crucible of Worlds at some points, but now it just plays the full four, plays four Sagas, four Wastelands, four Ghost Quarter, and a Strip Mine. <laughs> this deck is not kidding around when it comes to Crucible, and I actually think Urza Saga gave it the threat density it needed to compete with a lot of other decks before it kind of just had to play like some not very good cards in its deck, like Stone Coil Serpent doesn't really fit the strategy of the deck. Mm -hmm. Even like you know, like random like foundry inspectors or whatever that we've seen like people like Reed Duke play in the past. Not particularly good in this deck because what you really want to do most of the time is spend your time developing like lock pieces or like mana disruption. And then at some point when you have like lock set up, cast Golos, either get, you know, Caracas or Inventor's Fair, then either Caracas or Inventor's Fair spirals into the Crucible, which also then rebuys all of your stuff. Or if you just have like one one or two spheres and Nurse Saga and like an ancient tomb that's a lot of pressure for not much cost 
and at the end of the day, you can go use their saga to go get like Soul Ring or you know something like that, which is you know actually plus one mana from where you would be normally. Right, you get a bonus land drop out of the Urza Saga when it dies. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think this deck is really good. I think it's underrated, which is kind of funny to say because it does play like Mishra's Workshop was kind of an inherently broken card. I, I do think it's probably a little bit soft to decks that play a lot of Force of Vigor, namely certain versions of Dredge, certain versions of Squee or Hollow Vine play a lot of Force of Vigors. Uh, it, it, you don't really want to play against that card, obviously. I do think if you are concerned about that, you can maybe sideboard Defense Grid. It's not easy for people to get past Defense Grid and Sphere of Resistance on your turn to cast Force of Vigor. Yeah, and Force of Vigor has the awkward Modern Horizons template. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That That's why I mentioned... I, I I thought about playing this deck again myself recently. That The Defense Grid idea, I just... Uh, it was on my mind, essentially. So yeah, not much to say about this deck besides that. I do question Godfarer's statue, but everyone keeps playing it, so I don't know. Probably just leave it. It is like the best sphere of resistance at killing your opponent, right? <laughs> I guess, but yeah, you got Urza Saga, Saga so... Do you need it now? Like, that kinda... I, I don't know. I think the issue is there's not... You look at the deck list, and you can imagine games where you have Inventor's Fair in like a Jairan Academy and a bunch of mana, and that is actually the card you would want to go get with Inventor's Fair. Yeah, sure. It's imp- I've played against that card. <laughs> not in Vintage, but anytime it's on the table, you it's just impossible to play the game. Yes. It, it, well, the game's unplayable, as Pat Solon would say. <laughs> yeah. It's actually unplayable. <laughs> I uh, so two two notes on here as uh, as I always do when looking at vintage decks on MTG Goldfish, my eye is drawn to the gap between the tabletop price and the MTGO price. Oh yeah, a hundred and one thousand five hundred and twenty dollars so tabletop. You, you you can there's a few things to blame for that. Black Lotus twenty four thousand <laughs> four Mitchers Workshop nineteen thousand one hundred. <laughs> uh, the Tabernacle of Pendle Veil. This. Most lists play three copies of that card, so it's eighteen thousand. I actually am skeptical that you need more than two, but the first copy is definitely necessary because it's a very good card to go for in a lot of situations, which is why you have to play the first copy. It is one of the few ways you can like clean up a board that's been like created mm-hmm. after you wasteland all of their lands, you know, which is also a slow grind. Sure. If you do want to play this deck in the only place you're actually allowed to play it, it only costs 500 ticks to play on Moto. Which is actually cheap. Like, if you look at modern deck prices, they're actually three times as high as yeah. this deck. Yeah, because you got to get like, Ragavans. Yeah, modern yeah, is more expensive than uh, yeah. a lot of the other formats on Magic Online. Yeah, but it, if you are looking for the Vintage experience or you want to try it out on the cheap, MGGO is actually your best bet, unless if your you know, local shop allows full proxy or whatever, you know? Yep. Well, and and you, you you know, there's no like I tried it out on the cheap on Magic Online and I'm really into it, so I think I'm going to get into paper vintage because that's just not a thing. <laughs> there's no such thing as actual I mean, paper. it occasionally is, but not it depends on what area you live in, I think. Yeah. I think the for almost the entirety of the Magic playing population, the idea that I'm going to sleep sure. on my Black Lotus and go play a vintage tournament is just not a thing. Well, and also I mean, if a lot of places are allowing more proxies now that, like, there's not a real reason to sanction things, right. that might make it more of a thing, honestly. Yeah, which which would be cool. 
yeah. All right. So on to the next deck, which uh, on Goldfish, it's labeled Uberg, which is not a particularly helpful uh, naming convention by any stretch of the imagination. But I think this deck has gotten a surprising number of tools from NH2. All right. First off, this is actually Hollow Vine because it has four Hollow Ones, four Vengevine. It's a bizarre aggro deck, essentially. Um, people have jokingly labeled this deck as Rug Tempo because, like, the cards are red, blue, and green, and you're basically a tempo deck, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a funny way to put it. But this isn't Rootwalla Tribal. It is Rootwalla Tribal. It has eight now. It only used to have four, but now you're allowed to play eight. Basking Rule is superior to Blazing in this one because you have Gaius Cradle for the Mize activation. The, the reason Cradle's in the deck is it hard counters Tabernacle. <laughs> so, That's really cute. Uh, a few things to note about this deck. This deck used to play Krovican Krovin Horror sometimes, but actually there's a secret that Krovican Horror is actually bugged on MTGO, because if you discard it to Bazaar, you don't get to control where it ends up in your graveyard, and you should be able to. Weird. Hmm, that's because Krovican Horror has the attacks that it has to have one creature on top of it mm -hmm. to return it to your hand at end step, whereas Master of Death doesn't actually have that wording. But even barring that, even if both cards work correctly, I think this deck would still play Master of Death because it's a blue pitch card for your forces. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and so that's where the like joking that yeah. this is a tempo deck comes from is because this yep. is a deck that uses Bizarre to get threats into play, and then you cover that by using Mindbreak Trap or Force of Will to like counter one key spell yeah. as you're killing them with your bizarre out creatures. Well, the other thing you use Bizarre for is as a draw engine, because once you get like one or two squeeze in your graveyard, it's actually easy to get ahead on cards, which is kind of funny to say because you're discarding one card every turn. But if you have two squeeze, you can start getting ahead on cards. And I actually found when I was playing against this deck, more often than not, I would just extract their squeeze or master of deaths. It was actually, and if you could clean up the board in a different way, it's actually hard for them to do like anything threatening to you. It only really works if you're playing a fair deck. I think generally this deck is best versus like paradoxical outcome or underworld breach because you present such a fast clock and you have all of these counters. It's just like kind of a nightmare. Whereas I think this deck tends to struggle versus like bug. Like a single time of like brick swall all of your creatures, which is kind of painful. <laughs> yes. Um, and actually that's what the Furies are for. They're there to try to kill, you know, either like a Leovold, which is bad news for bears for you. Sometimes a planeswalker, because Fury has that dex on it. And you know, maybe you can pick off a three, four Tarmogoyth, and then you're allowed to start attacking. <laughs> the alternate plan is just get all of your creatures into play so you can start attacking. <laughs> the alternate plan, and one I've uh, done a few times, is if you get Leyline of the Voided, it's not actually so bad for this deck. Well, what actually happens when you get Leyline in this deck, I think, is... Okay, you don't get to make Vengevines without Gaia's Cradle. You still have a bunch of Root Walls, and you still have the Out of Hollow one. So, mm -hmm. in this deck, what actually happens when you get Leyline is you have to be careful about activating your Bazaar. Because it's not you you can't really get the cards back in any meaningful fashion so you, you just have to be more mindful of well we're not always looting now now we're only sometimes looting and you just have to be mindful of that sure and if you hit a hollow one or an answer to a line of void you're you're good to go for a little while yeah 
Well, yeah, it might just beat them down for five turns, right? Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's Squee or Hollowvine or however you want to call it. Which has gotten a lot from MH2. I mean, you pointed this out, but you've yeah. doubled your number of Rootwallows and you've doubled your number of Squees. Uh, that's, like, pretty real. That's a very distinct upgrade for the deck and, and a lot of redundancy. Well, I mean, one of the squeeze was a side grade technically because of right. the other one should work and you could still play it IRL if you wanted to, but it also you do not see this deck very often IRL even when it was like a thing because it's not really the vintage experience in a lot of ways. It's more akin to playing like, I don't know, it feels like a modern deck it's, in a lot of it's, ways. That's what I was going to say. It was a modern deck with Bizarre Dead. So the trick is, it's a very powerful modern deck because like this thing can compete on power level and vintage, mostly because of the fact that it has like an uncounterable draw to every turn is really what's fueling it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of like casting Faithless Looting. It, it's like Bizarre is its Faithless Looting, a card that got banned in modern, and it just like gets that for free every single turn. Yeah, or Magus of the Bazaar, if you want to be more precise. Yeah, but I'm comparing it to an actual <laughs> magic sure, card. Sure, sure. Look, I've seen people play Magus of the Bazaar in Modern before. It's typically not very good, and it actually has aged horribly because people play Lava Dart occasionally now. Imagine playing that one versus Lava Dart. It seems heinous. Yeah, you don't want to play a two-mana um, creature that gets lightning bolted. You definitely don't want to play a two-mana creature that gets Lava Darted. I mean, some people are into that sort of thing. I'm not personally. Yes. <laughs> Alright, um, I'll drag inside. Let's get to the next deck. Paradoxical Outcome. Ooh, wait. I didn't even know Numa was playing Vintage again. Huh. I, I, I actually looked at this deck because I didn't look at the person's name. <laughs> Paradoxical Outcome has this weird relationship in Vintage where it fades... It, it has the affinity effect, actually, I would say, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Because... When it's good, it kind of feels like it... Why would you play anything else? Like, you're ridiculous. This deck is, like, completely busted because it plays a lot of restricted cards. And when your paradoxical outcomes aren't getting power-blasted or hole-breached or whatever, or force of vigored, it's... Paradoxical outcome is, like, literally the best Dark Ritual ever printed. So that that's the appeal to this deck. I mean... Oh, Wow. Numod has a really bad version, actually. <laughs> I would not put Days Undoing into your deck. Just don't... No. Really do not do that to yourself. I saw a lot of people the past weekend playing Coveted Jewel, too. Uh, I also would not suggest doing that to yourself, because that means you're <laughs> playing a bad Mishra's Workshop deck. Yeah. Um, yeah, Days Undoing, I do not believe, is particularly playable. The Juris is kind of weird, and I don't really know why it's there. It seems like worse than Thoughtseize a majority of the time, especially since one of the cards that's best versus this deck is either Hold Breacher or Leobold. So it's like kind of bizarre to have Duress instead of Thoughtseize. Also, Collector Oof is so insane versus you. Yeah, I think that's just like a misbuild, personally. Besides that, everything else looks pretty normal. Yeah, I mean, uh, we had this joke in the chat earlier, why is Bolus' Siddle an artifact? That's the joke. Like... <laughs> I especially hate he doesn't have the redundant big creatures or big robots on the sideboard. Personally, when I've played Tinker decks lately, I just have one of both Blightseal and Sphinx on my sideboard, and I side them in, in different matchups. I decided in Sphinx versus Bug or Dredge or Bizarre decks. I decided in Blightseal versus Shops. Mm -hmm. Right, because you can 
kind of assume that they've got like a lock piece or something that addresses the citadel and if you have an alternate thing to get then well also sometimes for shops depending on the version if it's ravager shops it's especially the case that a lot of the time you're like three life or something sure. like that by the time it happens and then you just can't sit at all really need you can't sit at all which is an issue and versus the force of vigor decks well, if you tinker for Citadel and they just force it after you cast your first spell, it's not even really that good. And Citadel is very bad if there's a Sphere of Resistance in play. Um, yes, that's also true. Although, kind of think if you've managed to tinker through a Sphere, a sphere yeah. you might be okay because you're not dying and you might find you enough time to get the... Oh, wait, this list also doesn't have a main deck Oracle's Recall. Never mind. <laughs> oh, it has a main deck to Fairy Time Ravor. That I guess that works, but I, I generally would play one Hercules Recall on the main deck. Probably in that day's undoing slot. Or the time twister slot. <laughs> yeah, time so, time yeah, twister uh, really not not where it's at. I mean, it's good with whole creature, but I kind of am skeptical that's what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Alright, Doomsday, this is one of these decks that in Vintage, it used to be very fringe, then you know what card broke it open, it's so obvious. It's Thoughts Oracle. So, let me tell you some old stories about how this deck used to win before that. <laughs> Depending on the era, it would play Mind's Desire and Beacon of Destruction, and the plan would be <laughs> to Doomsday into a pile that contained Beacon of Destruction, um, Mind's Desire, and a bunch of like mana sources and you would just desire for like five times and keep responding with beacon because it shuffles back in. And you can respond in between my desire. Yeah, exactly. Copies. That's yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which is a very cute way to kill it. I actually believe uh some big vintage team was responsible for building that deck back in the day. And I think it might have had Steven Menendian on it. <laughs> and famous notepad writer on VSO trying to figure out how to play Doomsday. Nowadays, it's not as difficult as it used to be, I would say. I mean, obviously, it is still difficult to stack your deck five times and try to play around every conceivable, you know, thing that could go wrong. That is still difficult. Don't get me wrong. I just think Thassa's Oracle being a one-card contained kill condition after you've resolved Doomsday has made it easier. I'm actually kind of for that in general. Sure. I think Doomsday I mean, is so incredibly difficult to play yeah. regardless. That just having your end of the game one condition be simpler is not a bad thing. Well, the other thing I really like about this deck is because the kill condition is so compact, you're allowed to play with more like reasonable magic cards, is how I would put it. Because I think generally it's the case that if your combo can be reduced by as many cards as possible, it generally improves the deck, I would say. Sure. Which is why um, uh, the decks like uh, Inverter of Truth get so powerful in formats like yep. Pioneer, where their whole deck is just not really a combo deck at all. I mean, honestly, Doomsday and Inverter have a lot of similarities in a weird sort of way, in that they both try to minimize the number of bad cards they play. Yep. And Dig Through Times in both of them, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> dig Through Times is really good in this deck, if, if you are not surprised. No, um, it's a vintage deck. That doesn't surprise me too much. A few odd choices about this list. Um, there's no sideboard opposition agent, which you sometimes see for the mirrors especially. Because imagine having to play a mirror where 
you suspect your opponent might have opposition agent. Well, I'll give you a hint. If you cast Oppo Agent versus someone who's resolving Doomsday, they die. <laughs> That's literally what happens. So, uh, uh, it, interesting to shoot that in this particular one. Obviously, like, it's fine not, not to play it. If you don't expect any mirrors, just don't put the card in your deck. Like, it's not that good. But it is really, really, really funny to cack a Doomsday with Opposition Agent. The Opposition Agent feels like one of those cards where you know it's not good, in general, but you really don't want to lose the mirror. <laughs> yeah, it has that feel to that. And, um, oh, almost all of these was sideboard one library because versus like slow blue decks, library is like the best thing you can do. It's just, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you draw it on turn three because you're not dead yet. Like the, the, the bugs and the just guys of the world is where I envision library. I'm not sure you would really want it versus like a paradoxical outcome or underworld breach deck sure. because they try to like kill, kill you, actually do something to you. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's Doomsday. Is this mono blue deck? I don't think it's great, but I'll list some of the cards just for Lee's edification. Is this the Karn or is it nonsense that I've seen? Well, it it's the it's the version of it you can play in this format, I guess. How we put it. All right. Notable cards. Emery, Lurker of the Lock, Hold Breacher, Thought Monitor, Urza, Lord High Artificer. Three copies of Emery, one of Hold Breacher, two uh, of Urza, four Thought Monitors, because that is really one of your better cards a lot of the time. This thing has a very high artifact count and actually steps into Seed of the Synod, which I frankly believe is a trap, because if you've ever played Seed of the Synod versus Collector Oof or Nullrod, you will hate it so much. You lose on the spot, it feels like. When you got four yeah. thought casts and thought monitors, though, how can you how can you not? I would not register this deck is my response. <laughs> uh I mean, I, I'm I'm exaggerating slightly. The problem is the list I'm looking at, it's Musasabi, so yeah. like he does whatever the hell he wants. And, so and like, wins the vintage that's challenge. Fine. Right? Yeah. Well, so you have to be careful. I think the Saturday one, if this is a Saturday one that is more credit because that's the bigger one the sunday one is the, like insane 3 a.m eastern one that mm. no one in the u.s who's sane actually plays except for people who are either up late or up early sure or i guess like zoom i have seen some zoomers play that one that live in california <laughs> does this just do anything appreciably better than like either a paradoxical outcome or just a mid-range blue deck uh, it no because I was going to say it's better versus wasteland. Then I actually looked at his mana base and it's not even better versus wasteland. Which is kind of funny. He has the same number of basic lands. He is monocolored, but I'll, I'll list the lands: two island, one Monamo School at Water's Edge, pretty good with Urza Saga and Toyer and Academy. I will give it that. Two fetch lands, four Seed of the Sonat, Toyer and Academy, four Urza Saga are the lands. So you're actually not better versus Wasteland. I think you're a lot more exposed to Collector Oof for not much gain, question mark? Sure. Yeah, not a lot no, of Monomo. answers to it in Mono Blue either. Wait, what the, is, no, why it is Monomo Saga? You can untap it. Right? No, this Saga is not legendary. Just not oh! Any... <laughs> Wait, why is this card even in our deck? There's so the many hell? words on Urza Saga that land. Okay, alright, never mind. Legendary never there. mind. You're right. Actually, now you're now I remember. You can have multiple Urza Sagas in play and it doesn't harm you. 
You just you're not gonna get all the value. You can monopoly your Tauren Academy and your Emery. That's that's what's going on. Uh, I'm not about it. I I don't. I'm a big fan of Urza the card, but it just doesn't seem like this is what you want to be doing in Vintage. Nope. Um, and this is an unexperienced eye. Yeah. I'm going to skip Oath because I don't actually expect anyone to play it, and I also believe it's not great, unless if your name is Maharu Fumayara. I, I don't remember her exact name. It's really hard for me because... I know she always plays Oath and does well with it in Vintage Challenges, and literally no one else can win, so it's just like, question mark? So what's funny about Oath is I opened up one of the lists in the challenge by Mogged, who labeled Oath of Druids, and it's just a rug mid-range deck that doesn't play Oath of Druids at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, sometimes Goldfish does that, so... I'm yeah, it's beautiful. It. Great. I think we can <laughs> pretty um... much just skip to Dredge, and then that's probably all the stuff that we really, you know, all the pressing sure. stuff. Yeah, let's do that. Ooh, I love this person's name. Turn one Tinker. Just playing Dredge is just so insane. And in fact, I believe in the uh, Vintage Showcase, not the not the like one where you win if you go to the box, the one where you if you top it, you qualified. Brian played against this person and just assumed that they were like, you know, a blue deck. But then we got dredged. And then he had the rematch versus them in the top eight and got dredged again. <laughs> but this time, he obviously in the rematch, you know that you're going to get dredged. But it's funny to name your uh, account Turn One Tinker and be playing dredge instead. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of which, Martin Horizons 2 creeping into this one. Grief, a very good card in a deck that doesn't really care about using all of its cards because, like, who the fuck cares? Cards in your hand don't mean anything. Grief is only a good card in decks that are doing nonsense. And it's pretty unreal in decks that are doing nonsense. Oh yeah, like it even triggers your bridge from below if if you yeah. have bridge from below in the graveyard. It also lets you so see you their hand with before you cabal therapy them for the first time. Like, yep. Th there's there's a lot going on here. I I've just been playing it in Living End, and it's the best card in that deck by like a lot. And so, yep. yep. Uh, anyways, there's a few things you can say about this list for grief. They've shaped on Icarids, and those of you who are new to Avenger are like, why is there only one Golgari Grave? Troll? <laughs> Spoiler, it's restricted. Otherwise, this deck would snap play for Golgari Grave Troll. I actually noticed one other thing. The green count for Force of Vigor in this deck postboard is not that high. I think you can go to a maximum of, let's see, five, nine. You can get to 12 green cards, but that's really not very high. But then you remember your bizarre deck, so you can like try to like mess with the numbers, overlooting a few times. But yeah, this deck is actually you know, playing shambling shells over like Golgari Thug Golgari, three and four, thug. Uh, exactly to get that green count for that reason. Yeah. Thug is a better card most of the time, but when you consider pitch spells, I think uh, it becomes clear that you should play play uh, four shells. Mm -hmm. I mean, realistically, it doesn't matter because Bizarre dredges so fast that it doesn't matter which one you get to. Right. You'll very likely hit one of your Stinkweeds or your Thugs or your Grave Trolls, which does speed it up immensely. And I think this is a deck that, well, it a lot of modern players have played against Dredge in, you know, modern. Dredge in this one is a very different animal. If you let this thing do its thing for one or two turns, you're actually dead. Or you have no hand and like there's like 12 power in play. Yeah. Bridge from below just explodes out of control. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think back, the older versions of Dredge would be better versus the Tavern I Call Pentrill Veil, but everyone's cut Dread Return plus, you know, Giant Idiot because these cards are bad. So, like, it's actually sometimes not that easy to beat Tabernacle in certain board states. Interesting. Which is why you see a strip mine in three wastelands. Sure. Which is kind of funny because, like, if you think about Dredge, no other Dredge deck in any other format plays, like, these random land destruction lands. Because, like, why would they? And the answer is they're actually pretty good. And I think, personally, Canister plays a slightly different version of this deck that plays Bloodgast. And two Dakmore Salvage. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, I mean, you can just like move, you can adjust the numbers slightly to fit those things in. I think Cancer only plays one Cabal Therapy is where he made the room for it. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. See, because I was going to say, like, that's one of the selling points of the deck to me is like, and and mm -hmm. certainly I think that separates it from like, modern dredge is the ability to just cabal therapy oh, your yeah. opponent out of the game well i mean bridge from below and cabal therapy i know and all of the forces and bizarre. i mean yeah there, there's a lot of reasons why this deck oh you're like okay this is similar to modern deck and you'd be like okay superficially it is in reality the goldfish and the disruption is just like so insane in this deck that it really feels like well not check. magic. It, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it doesn't feel like magic. I think you can imagine playing a blue deck and you're like, all right, this is just, you know, better blue magic. This makes sense. You play against this deck and you're like, this doesn't make sense and why is this allowed to exist? Right. They're drawing nine <laughs> cards a turn and they got rid of two of my cards for no mana and whatever, made six zombies. <laughs> yeah, so grief pretty good. All of the forces, really modern horizon one and two really did power of the... I actually think my least favorite card in this deck is Creeping Chill. I don't really understand why it's there. I think, in my mind, the only reason it's there is to occasionally race combo. Like, just being, like, a turn faster. But it's kind of a bad card a lot of the time. Yeah, it, it's weird. I saw it, and I was a little questioning how many Bolus the Citadel-based attacks there were to, like, turn the clock. But I don't, I don't know if that's it, what it was. Well, it's actually more important versus something like Oath of Druids, I think. Because, like, it's not that easy to beat Gristlebrand with this deck in a lot of Game 1 scenarios, especially if they have, like, a Time Vault, uh, Voltaic Key set up behind. I'm sorry, Manifold Key. No one plays Voltaic Key anymore, rest in peace. <laughs> well, and if you do, you Jarvis will be mad at you. Key, well, you can play Old Border Manifold Key. Yeah, yeah. so it's, the, it's fine. Yeah. I would not play the Old Border Manifold Key myself, but that's, uh, <laughs> Why is that's that? just... Because I actually do not love the old border printing personally, but that's like I any card or just of artifacts. No, it's a bunch of them. They don't look quite right to me. I don't know. Okay. I don't know how to explain it. Like the true name bothered the hell out of me. So did the ponder. I can't explain why. Is it because of the old border itself, or because it's a new frame card in an old border, and that's like jarring? Yeah. I... It might be a little bit of both, but also the physical copies of the cards smell and smell funny to me, <laughs> which is also kind of not a great reason because it's inside of sweep. But when I felt those cards and smelled them, all the TS Times Power remastered cards, IRL, felt and smelled off to me. And I can't, I don't really know why. Uh, the supplemental stuff is printed 
in different facilities and then it comes out different okay yeah well they they also make they do a bunch of printing tests with supplemental products like okay. they try new processes and stuff with those products oh, all the so time. So maybe maybe the process they use just is really out of whack for me personally. Yeah, they they can feel really weird. Like okay. uh, battle bond cards, all the packs were backwards, and they were the, the battle bond cards themselves are actually printed on very good cardstock, but the packs were all backwards because they did a different collation method. Right. Well, uh, that's stretch. I will give an honorable mention to some decks that were not posted on Goldfish because I don't know if you all know this. The like actual like showcase qualifier where the winner gets to go to the mocks is never published. I did like, know on that, Goldfish. Actually. So I'll give a shout out to Shere Khan, mm-hmm. aka Nico Boney, who is you. It's kind of funny. This guy is really good at magic, but I think a lot of the Zoomers don't know who he is. Because he was a guy who used to dominate draft at the Pro Tour level. Yeah. And now he's just like retired at home. And he's like, yeah, vintage is fun. I play it. I recently ran into him in the finals of my two draft and I got destroyed, which was kind of sad. We were both 2 0 and I was 2 1 and he was 3 0. Um, so that's shout out to him. He was playing Just Guy, like similar to the list we looked at. It was five cards off. Uh, Dom Harvey and Brian Cook both made top eight. With Hole Breacher, no paradoxical outcome in both of their decks. Uh, Bryant was Grixis with four Hole Breacher. Dom actually cut the Hole Breachers from his deck, so I was kind of lying. It was just Esper Urza Saga with Tinker, and his plan was to basically Tinker every game, so he even went as far to play Imperial Seal, which you don't see very often in Vintage. And kind of think he probably shouldn't have played the Imperial Seal, but whatever, you know. <laughs> that's that's the beauty. On MDGO, none of those cards cost... Imperial Seal, I think, is still like expensive IRL for some reason. I do not believe it is a good magic card in whatever format you're allowed to play it. Sure. So shout out to those. So you might see a bunch of like those sorts of big blue decks that have Tinker, but don't play Paradoxical. Well, so is that vintage? That's our crash course. That's our crash course for this time. What, what would you uh, play this in, weekend? Uh, I am uh, partial to Tinker myself, so probably some sort of big blue deck. Probably closer to the uh, Dom deck. I definitely would not play Imperial Seal, like I said. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, anything else that we want to go over before we say goodbye and head out? Uh, I don't know. I'm excited to cube. I roll with friends still. I try to keep the you know group small, eight people or so. Yeah. You know, reduce infection risk. Well, and you can like, also really not, control and make sure that everybody yeah. in your group is vaccinated. And yeah, but like we know now, I'm I'm going to be that guy. It is not zero percent transmission now right. because of the variant. But I think if you're smart about it, you're not. You can still hang out with people. Just be smart about it. Yeah, I mean, we we've been cubing too. We nice. built our mutate cube. We did that. Whoa. Super fun. Love to see it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was a real big experiment, and it's actually super fun. I've kept it twice now. CC's only got to keep it once because he was maybe. busy. I was busy, but soon I'll play it again. Maybe I'll drive the four hour, <laughs> six hours. Was it DZ to North Carolina is what six? Yeah, about. Mm, that's a little bit out of my driving range, but I also don't want to get an airplane right now because that like kind right, of makes me feel weird. Um, I don't know. 
Well, look, if you just find yourself down here yes. by some happenstance. I don't know how that would happen. During the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I tried to go as few places as possible. Yes. But you are always welcome, of course. All right. Sweet. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, so much for hanging out. Yeah. We really appreciate your time. Uh, if you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, Jarvis, where can people find you and your content? You've been streaming pretty regularly lately. Yep. Uh, I'm on Twitch. JarvisU is the name. Uh, Twitter, JKYU06. And from there, you can find most of the other places if you want to contact me. Cool. Uh, I am on Twitter, at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McCleo. And Jarvis, if you want to give your, your Twitter too, this is, you know the opportunity oh uh, I, I thought you just i thought you yeah. just said your twitch no i did okay. yeah I did. intrepid podcast listeners can simply go back <laughs> right um yeah that's it thanks so much for listening tune into manistrators this weekend and have a great week bye everyone